0: New Year, everybody. It is episode 32 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Today, Tuesday, January 3rd. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, insight, and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Jason Cooper, research analyst, is here. Hey, how's it going, Danny? Good, thanks. Uh, Trevor Nargis, senior trader, welcome to you. Morning, guys. Happy New Year.
1: Yeah, we've got a, a big, big week. Upcoming data, we've got manufacturing and construction with the ISM Manufacturing index, market PMI manufacturing and construction spending. We've got info on services, so the market PMI services and ISM services indices. The FOMC minutes, those are on Wednesday, and we'll get some insight into what the Board of Governors is watching. And then lastly, and, and most importantly, is the labor market. So we have jolts, challenger layoffs, ADP employment survey, initial claims, hourly earnings, and the payroll report. And you know, going back to last week when we talked in depth about the labor market, I think this week is going to be very important with respect to progress and, and especially combined with what the Fed has seen.
2: And I think investors will kind of take that as somewhat of a tone for how the year starts. Um, I think it'll be, like you said, it'll be an interesting week to kind of see how we kick off the year here. But speaking of kind of, you know, wrapping up 2022, going into 2023, what we wanted to do today is take a SWOT approach and kind of reflect on the strengths and weaknesses of the past year, and then look at some opportunities and threats in the year ahead here. So Jason, why don't you start us off?
1: Sure. So Starting with strengths, I think we were all surprised by the Federal Reserve's resolve to temper inflation, and you know, just bringing us back one year ago, we entered 2022 with inflation above seven percent and interest rates at the zero lower bound. And you know, just what a difference a year makes. You know, the Fed was actively engaging in quantitative easing. Now they're tightening the balance sheet about a hundred billion dollars per month. We saw. I think it was almost the fastest pace of rate increases since the 1970s with you know, 25 basis points in March, then 50, 75 four times, and then finally 50 in December. And We saw inflation peak in, in June and the market developed conviction that the trend was finally going lower and you know, the Fed was going to be successful in containing inflation in October.
2: As a result of those rate increases that we saw throughout the year, we saw the dollar be really strong. That proved to be a tailwind for U.S. equities throughout the bigger part of 2022. Now, towards the end, we saw the dollar kind of taper off a little bit. We saw international outperform, but for the most part, the U.S. dollar was a strength uh, in 2023. So, domestic companies, U.S.-oriented companies that derived most of their revenues from from this area of the world, uh, those, ten, those those outperformed throughout 2022.
1: And just putting it in perspective, the dollar at one point was up almost 19% on the year. That's a gigantic move for for a stock, let alone a currency that's used in settling global trade. So it really, really impressive move, and it caused a lot of, I want to say, restriction with respect to what other economies, particularly emerging economies that were de- dependent on dollars for financing, Uh, within the emerging economies.
2: Well, and on the note of the dollar strength, too, I mean, when you have commodities that are mostly priced in dollars, you saw commodities rip to the upside throughout most of 2022 as well. And so, again, that relationship with the dollar helped fuel that, that uptrend in commodities.
1: Another area that was strong that we were, I think, talking about almost all of last year was just being short duration. And it was, you know, the combination of rising rates and that appreciating dollar that benefited short duration assets and and one way to look at it is almost like certainty versus uncertainty in a period of rising rates you you want to favor certainty so what are what are areas that were certain money market mutual funds low-duration bonds whether they be floaters that re-rated based on increase in the federal funds rate or Treasury bills and notes and then dividend payers that had resilient business models (laughs) <laughs> and then you you think about uncertainty, and you think about like an ETF like Ark, which is the, a perfect example. It's just businesses that could transform the world, but you, you you know you might not see that transformation for for years or even decades. And in the meantime, you're you're missing out on those businesses returning capital to their shareholders.
2: Yeah, and and to some degree, that that question really came into mind of. You know, how transformative are they really? Is this sustainable? Is this type of business sustainable in a higher interest rate environment? Um, I think higher rates helped bring some of that exuberance um, out of the picture, kind of help people come back down to earth in a sense. And when you talk about certainty versus uncertainty, you know, when we were looking at company's balance sheets, company's cash flow statements, income statements, it really comes down to are those cash flows strong, consistent, are they more dependable, or like you said, are they further off in the future? Now that we have a higher risk-free rate, you know, your discount rate is going up, and uh, we've said this before, you know, 10 divided by 2 equals 5, but 10 divided by 5 is 2, and that is a, that's a lot less than 5. Um, so, it's definitely kind of the kind of the broader trend throughout the year, right, is that discount rate was increasing, and as a result, you had duration kind of take it on the chin and that's that's something we can get into with weaknesses here but to wrap things up from strengths um, you know it's not really news to anyone that energy was a was a major outperformer throughout the last year you know you had valuations in the sector Looking really cheap, uh, strong free cash flow yields, uh, a lack of CapEx, and really, uh, really shareholder friendly management teams um, just because of kind of the tone that those companies are kind of picking up from policymakers and whatnot, not necessarily being too friendly. to those companies as far as what they're doing from an operational standpoint. So management was just kind of, all right, well, let's shore up a little bit and return capital to shareholders. So it's proved to work out quite well thus far.
1: And what was really crazy was that you know the energy sector was the only sector in the S&P 500 that was actually up on the year. I think it was up more than 40%. And energy the commodity was effectively flat on right. a year-over-year right. basis. And the energy stocks are still cheap as long as energy prices just remain where they are so that just goes to show how cheap they were entering 2022 absolutely and then turning it over to weakness so what didn't work broad diversification it just there was a chart in the financial times over the weekend and it highlighted that this was the worst year for stocks and bonds I think it was like since the eighteen hundreds, probably as far back as you could go from a data perspective. And even, you know, going back to the nineteen seventies, which was you know, fifty years ago now, when you had rip roaring inflation, you still didn't have the type of drawdown in stocks and bonds that you had this year. I think I think like the worst decline in long duration treasuries was on the order of fourteen percent. It was like twice that in twenty twenty two.
2: Yeah, when you, you know, Bank of America always has some really cool charts and that kind of stuff when they, when they go really far back. And, you know, looking back and seeing, wow, you know, it hasn't been this bad for long bonds since the 1800s. It's really, <laughs> it, it's really interesting and just really crazy to think about.
1: And then, you know, what else didn't work? It's like those market capitalization weighted indexes that favored the biggest names. So the biggest names didn't hold up as well. And, you know, I think one, one name to talk about is Tesla. Um, which went from being a, a tech software company in 2021 and 2022. I guess it was a, a decent auto manufacturer, so a bit of a multiple re-rating there. But it just goes to show the importance of you know understanding what you own and what your company is valued at and what the market's expecting.
2: Yeah, it definitely wasn't really a year for, for beta by any means. Um, higher beta names definitely took it on the chin. We saw that there. We saw a lot of the COVID darlings be weak throughout the year. And again, that kind of goes back to what we were saying, that these companies that were kind of the biggest beneficiaries of zero interest rates, well, now when you have rates moving the other direction... Up and to the right, basically at the fastest clip we've ever seen, uh, they they've really gotten walloped. Um, so kind of a the the overall weakness trend for the year is a duration walloping, both on fixed income and in equities,
1: and also housing. I mean, ho- ho- houses are long duration assets. You know, the the consumer tends to take on a thirty year mortgage now. So think about a house as a thirty year asset, and you know you had so so we did the math on this one, a twenty percent down payment on the median sale price of a house that you're in 2021 would drive a monthly expense of like $1,449 if you had a 30-year mortgage. You get interest rates going from, or the 30-year mortgage going from 311 to 642 and the average home price still increasing by $30,000 in 12 months and by the way $100,000 in the last 24 months. So what does that do to that payment? Well, it's now $2,281. It's 57% more expensive than a year ago. So it's, it's not surprising that you see the housing market completely freeze with pending home sales down 37.8% year over year and lumber down to levels we haven't seen since you know, February of 2020.
2: Yeah, so affordability just kind of getting tossed out the window. And you know, when people are really feeling the blow of inflation from everywhere else, you know when they go to the grocery store, things like that, and when they're when they're you know for the most for the big for the better part of this year when they were at the gas station seeing seeing gas prices up too that's that's a thing that a lot of people pay attention to is kind of their own personal gauge um, just feeling it across the board so it, it was it was the consumer was still relatively strong this year, as we've seen, um, but you know, when you look underneath the hood, uh, some of those weaknesses are really starting to show themselves, so affordability, inflation, eating into things, uh, so on and so forth.
1: And it's no surprise that as a result you would see consumer sentiment, you know, looking at University of Michigan Sentiment Index, at the low levels that it is, I mean, growing up I was always told that the American dream is you know, having a family and the ability to afford your own home. So you think about what that does from a morale perspective and, you know, obviously an area of pronounced weakness in 2022.
2: And that's a that's a key word, right? Morale. So not just from a consumer sentiment standpoint, but we saw pessimism, pessimism levels in the markets hit really low levels this year. Um, there were times where, you know, we saw the AAII bull bear spread hit extremely low levels, level not Levels not seen since 2008 when things were really, really, really bad. Um, so just it's, it's interesting to look at market psychology and how people are digesting that on, mul- on multiple fronts. Um, let's spin into opportunities, though, right? We, we've kind of talked about what was good, what was bad in 2022.
1: But looking ahead, Jason, what do we got? I mean, your last comment was kind of a perfect segue for opportunities because sentiment is so bad across so many of the just broad-based metrics that we track and it almost has led us to ask well is it time to be a contrarian now you know we we, we highlighted this a little bit in the, in the, our last episode but we continue to see the cboe put call index it's it's at a higher level now than it was when the market bottomed in the great financial crisis it's the first time that wall street strategists are predicting a down year didn't happen in 2000 didn't happen in 2001 2008 or 2009 again that's happening now And then you have the Bank of America Merrill Lynch fund manager survey. It's just showing that 10% of participants are net overweight bonds. And that's the highest level or reading that you've seen since March of 2009. So it's just it's positioning, it's sentiment. It's almost ready for a contrarian to get in there and and make the market do something that maybe it shouldn't do. But because of how it's positioned, maybe there's an opportunity for the market to do well this year.
2: Yeah, and so you know, a note that you threw into our document here, and one thing that I, I, I kind of took to heart over, la- over the course of the last week, you know, it seems, it, it seems quite simple, but it, it really does make a lot of sense with our CIO Derek Felsky saying, you know, S and P's down, pretty much a little north of twenty percent in twenty twenty two. Tech's down slightly north of thirty percent, um, but when you look at historical drawdowns in in bear markets, you know, the data suggests that. We're closer to the bottom now than a year ago, and I mean, yeah, I would kind of hope that we're closer to the bottom (laughs) after being 20 to 30 percent down, Um, but I do think that there is something to take away there, right? When you look underneath the hood of that statement, valuations have come more in line. Uh, you have attractive free cash flow yields, attractive dividend yields. You know, bonds have really gotten walloped. Some of those longer dated fixed income securities look attractive. I think there are, you know, going to be areas for longer term investors where the entry point now looks a lot better than it has over maybe the past couple of years.
1: Yeah. And, and fixed incomes the perfect place to start your search. You know, we went from having. Deeply negative real rates, which was something that you hadn't had historically, and by historically I mean pre-quantitative easing, it was just something that didn't exist. You needed to be compensated on a real basis as a bond investor for for risking your capital. And as interest rates were repressed, you, you saw that risk-seeking behavior take over. And now you're kind of looking at the ten-year treasury with a yield of 1.6% on a real basis, and that's historically attractive. I mean, that's the 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 strongest real yield that you could lock in since I think the fall of two thousand nine, and it, it's like our chief investment strategist Todd Voigt, always says bonds are just math. They the cash flows will effectively reset and reward you when you have a, a drawdown in the principal. So, looking looking at our ability now to have a ballast for the portfolios, fixed incomes a great opportunity.
2: Right, and you know. Just like you said, with it, with things just being math too. I mean, with with higher rates now, people are being compensated adequately. There there's actually income coming from fixed income,
1: and, and then you look at names like uh, Garpy names, so growth at a reasonable price, and a big headwind for them over the last year was that increase in real rates. You know, it's it's the opportunity cost of hey, should I buy a bond or should I buy a stock that is growing and compounding. And based on the level that bonds were and how they were trending, investors didn't feel like they were getting compensated. But you saw a lot of these names that are strong securities, resilient balance sheets, compounding cash flows, increasingly relevant to the economy. Now they're priced at relatively attractive levels, and we're finding a lot of opportunities there. And so
2: going kind of into one of the other areas that we've looked at, And for those who are repeat listeners, you're probably going to get a kick out of this. But over the course of the next year, you know, still looking at at small cap securities, uh, the valuation spreads there compared to their large and mid cap counterparts still look attractive, whether you're. Whether you're looking at the equity risk premium from a nominal ten-year basis as your you know using the nominal ten-year yield as your risk-free rate, or if you're using the real ten-year yield as your risk-free rate, small
1: caps still look attractive in, in both of those scenarios. What's really <coughs> impressive there is, is the spread between like large cap and small cap. So Trevor ran that what we call an equity risk premium. So how expensive are stocks relative? to bonds and large cap stocks they're still like one standard deviation overvalued small cap stocks are one standard deviation undervalued so there's what we see massive opportunity across small cap stocks on a risk-adjusted basis in this type of market another area that we need to talk about is housing you know our last conversation around weaknesses highlighted how how bad the housing market has been it's incredible how resilient some of these home builder stocks have been we've been doing a lot of research maybe we'll get into in another episode about the housing deficit that this country has experienced but people still need to buy homes they might be smaller homes on a go forward basis but the strength out of these home builder names it's indicative of something fundamentally shifting there
2: yeah Exactly, and I think one last thing to wrap up opportunities here before we cap it off with threats um, would just be kind of active management in 2023, right? There's a lot of consensus that 2023 is gonna be choppy. There's obviously concerns over earnings, but that really kicks off in my head is that there's areas in where investors can can pick their spots, whether that be through factor tilts, sector tilts, or security selection. There's There's a multitude of avenues that can be taken. But let's pivot into threats here, Jason. You got.
1: Threat number one is monetary policy, and the last episode we got more in depth on potential structural tra- changes to the labor force and how like a, a slower-growing or even non-growing labor force impacts potential growth. Um, I think the biggest threat is just that the Fed makes a policy error. they've raised rates so rapidly. You know, monetary policy works with a lag. We we always say this. It seems like the Fed might not register how long of a how how long that lag might be. So it's just going to be really important to continuously monitor incoming data to indicate whether or not they've tightened too too fast.
2: And on that monetary policy note, you know the potential for a policy error. So, like you said earlier, you know, we've seen inflation potentially peak and start to roll over, but we saw that also happen in the 1940s and the 1970s, and in those instances, it actually ended up coming back. Because the Fed took their foot off the gas, uh, they thought they had things under control, they thought that they were in the clear, and inflation ended up coming back. So definitely a, a threat throughout the next year is that maybe they take their foot off the gas too soon, and then we do see a potential policy error. Now, the hope is that that mistake has been made twice already. Don't, hopefully we don't see it a third time, um, but that, that's, that's going to be a major threat uh, throughout
1: 2023. Lastly, the last threat, is this commercial real estate sector. And the average workplace occupancy rate in the top 10 US metro areas, it hit 48.2% I think last week. It's down from 95% before the pandemic began according to Castle Systems. You know, you think about some of these businesses in major metropolitan areas and they operate on razor thin margins. And if you have a structural shift to a hybrid or fully remote workforce, What is that going to do to some of these commercial buildings? Their their occupancy rates are never going to fully rebound. And what's that do to their pricing power, coupled with the fact that they literally have trillions of dollars in commercial mortgage-backed securities securitized by their real assets. So it's something that we need to watch on a go-forward basis.
0: As we wrap up, we head around the room and uh, check with headlines. Headline strength.
1: The Fed's resolve to temper inflation was probably the dominant strength of the last year.
0: Headline weakness. Diversification. You know, one of
2: the worst years on record for, ba- for balanced investors. What's our headline opportunity?
1: New year, lots of new opportunities, including small caps.
2: Yeah, their headline threat. That would be the unintended consequences of monetary policy and debt. Jason
0: Cooper, research analyst. Thank you. Thank you. Trevor Nargis, senior trader. Thank you. Thanks, guys. This is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast.